Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing on this Christmas morning? I, I'm doing quite well. This is one of uh, the four times of year that uh, get to dissect Tesla earnings, so I'm quite excited. But before we get into that, what, my good friend, are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I am drinking a tiki-type cocktail out of the PDT book called a Beach Bum. Mm-hmm. Got what a couple got of, in there? A couple of rums, some pineapple juice, some lime, some orgeat, and uh, some apricot liqueur or apricot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still not uh, decided on the apricot versus apricot. Um, perhaps someone can send me a gif with the explanation. Um, and yeah, and uh, the, it's quite nice. Yeah, it's very refreshing. Has a It's very tiki. So, you know, feeling the, uh, the summer vibes here. How about you? Do you have a tiki mug? I'm actually not. I'm drinking out of one of these hard, strong Japanese highball glasses, mm, which okay. are wonderful. Uh, I was uh, very furiously taking notes up until the last possible moment to uh, tram as much in. So I am enjoying a new addition to my bar, uh, Pernod or Pernod? Pernod. Oh, oh, Pernod. Pernod. So it is um, basically a response to absence being, absinthe being banned in France. Uh, and so it has very, if you like black licorice, you would like this drink. <laughs> and you also like alcohol. And uh, things that are uh, shockingly bright green. It is. Uh, I poured it out. I was like, what? The, someone replaced this with Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> and then it gets cloudy, just like absinthe. So, yeah. Um, but it's a, a digestif. So enjoying this after after dinner. And um, I quite like it. So I just got it in a, a double rocks glass with a large king cube ice cube in it. Wow. Highfalutin. Mm-hmm. Very Parisian. Parisian. I'm trying. So uh, tonight, as you alluded to, we get to dissect uh, Tesla's Q2 earnings and earnings call, uh, which covers April, May, and June of Ooh. 2017. Ooh. And uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the main reason I like these for folks who maybe are new is that we get a lot of financial information, obviously, which is great. They release a letter with an update. So from the company's point of view, you get to understand what their priorities are, what they think their accomplishments were, and what are some of the things that are upcoming that they're excited about. And then they also have an earnings call with uh, investors and Elon Musk is on the call. Uh, their head of uh, service and sales, John McNeil, is usually on those calls. And then J.B. Straubel, their CTO, is usually on those calls. And they go for between an hour, an hour and a half, answering questions and just sort of pontificating. And Elon being Elon usually goes off on uh, unscripted, um, you know, directions. And so we get, we get information from him that uh, typically we just don't get uh, as much from Tesla's public communications team. So, yeah. And, that's, well, you left out the most important part, too. They end up getting a letter grade from Caleb Elston of the Tesla show. That's true. At the very end, I will grade, uh, grade it. This one's going to be tricky. So we'll see how I feel at the end after we've gone through it. So um, some of the high-level bits, uh, the, very, the very beginning... Unfortunately, the call was pretty rough to start. Uh, if people were listening to it live, they um, had some microphone issues. So oh, rough as in qual- uh, like quality. quality issues, not like the, uh, the analyst jumped on them right away. No, no, no. It, they, you couldn't hear Elon speak. And so they tried for multiple attempts and then they paused the conference call and restarted it and got everyone back on. And so uh, they, they edited that out of the um, official broadcast they put on the site afterwards oh. for the replay. 
So I look forward to, I guess, in the next conference call, we'll talk about Elon's new conference call startup initiative, where he launched a new company to revolutionize startup conference calls. Well, funnily enough, apparently this call went wrong because they each had their own microphones and they were trying a new conference call setup. And so they reverted back to just the regular polyphone, polycom phone thing where everyone shared it. So uh, they were trying to advance the state of the art and it failed. And so they had to go back to their old way of just a conference call with one big speakerphone. So why don't they all just sit in a model in each in a Model S and use the uh, speakerphone and sound isolation in each of those to do it? I don't know. They uh, in other news, the Apple conference calls have gotten really good. I think they're recording those on iPads now. The, the quality is no, honestly, the quality is much better um, from the recordings. But um, anyways, into the substance of the call, um, Elon started off with a bit of a uh, overview and and monologue. Um, and he wanted to sort of reiterate that Friday night, um, this call came out on Monday or Tuesday uh, after the unveil that we were at. Um, he was basically saying it was basically the most important day, uh, day in the company's history, um, that handing over those 30 model threes was an incredible milestone and that just reiterating to the investing community that if they could have made this low price car from the beginning, they would have, uh, but technology didn't allow it. And so they had to progress from roadster to S to X and to now finally being at model three. Um, and so, he said it was one of the most stressful weeks he's had, um, but now looking back on it, he's you know really proud of it. And um, so then he jumped into saying that he is extremely confident they will reach the ten thousand cars per week towards the end of next year. Uh, and that <laughs> what they, is, what's the Elon scale of confidence levels? Where does extremely fall on that? Is he always extremely confident, or is he is he ever like have tepid confidence? Yeah, no, he's not always confident. Sometimes he'll say uh, we hope or we aspire to, or this is just a target, or this is just uh, an internal. Yeah, an internal aspiration. So he he does have different levels of hedging. Uh, okay. But he then went on to say people should have zero doubt that that they will hit that 10%. Uh, zero. 10,000 unit. Yeah. Uh, zero concern. Zero. That Tesla will achieve 10,000 unit production per week of Model 3 by the end of next year. So that was a strong way to start the call. <laughs> um, because we had covered in the last earnings call and sort of poked a little bit that the 10,000 per week at some point in 2018 was a pretty vague uh, time frame uh, <laughs> and that they had primarily been focused on hitting this intermediate goal, which is the 5,000 per week by the end of this year, which we had heard about on the last earnings call. So there's some continuity there. And he reiterated that they are on track for that 5,000 per week by the end of this year, which he also had tweeted about before the reveal um, where we got some numbers on what he was expecting for the ramp. And was basically just sort of pointing out again that the ramp, uh, so the ability to go from producing a handful of cars a day to uh, thousands per week and then tens of thousands per week or 10,000 per week, uh, that that is, again, his favorite S-curve. And so it starts <laughs> out very, very slowly. And if you were to look at it, uh, it looks like not much progress is being made. And then it starts to shoot up um, in a very uh, intense way. And then it will level off at the maximum production rate of 5,000, uh, and then they will start building more capacity to get to 10,000. So just my interpretation here was they wanted to make it extremely clear that they are on target here uh, and that 
he and the team feel extremely confident they will hit these kind of goals. And it's important to remember, and he pointed out, that Roadster was 600 cars per week at its peak. And right now, SNX are around 2,000 per week. So he's talking about uh, more than doubling, well, basically tripling their total capacity by the end of this year, uh, actually quadrupling total capacity, and then by the end of next year being at 10,000 Model 3s and 2,000 S's and X's per week. So a 5x of where they're at now. So really, really big uh, jumps in production. And so this is the point that analysts are quite unsure about and probably the number one uh probably probably the number one um complaint or hedge against tesla would be they're not going to be able to do this right um, because there's no evidence that they can hit this level of production while other manufacturers certainly do uh many you know many multiples of even that ten thousand per week number so it isn't as if they're trying to build more cars than any car maker has ever done before um so it's not as if it's a, an impossible task that's never been accomplished. So they're not trying to break ground there, but they are trying to do something that Tesla has never done before. So that's, that's sort of the big highlight is Model 3 is on target and on track and that they still believe they will be able to hit these very aggressive targets. Um, and for comparison, when Model X was unveiled and started production, the, that first earnings call, they were, were quite confident and clear that... Um, there were problems. So they very quickly knew they had problems and they thought they'd be able to get things turned around, uh, but they knew they were having trouble with the Falcon wing doors and some suppliers. And so uh, they do not believe they're in that same situation with Model 3, but many doubters would say that they might be. So that was probably the biggest thing he wanted to communicate in the very beginning. Um, and the other thing he said was that, uh, an anecdote was that of the test drives they gave to journalists so people from like the from Wired and the Wall Street Journal and MKBHD. The Tesla show. Well, we didn't get to drive the vehicle. We were <laughs> driven in it. Uh, we rode in it. So they actually earlier in the day let the Verge and others like Engadget and a few more Motor Trend a few days earlier drive the car. And Elon went on to say that he that eighty percent uh, of the people who, of the journalists who drove it said they wanted to buy the car themselves. And then he said the the remaining folks said they probably would. <laughs> and he said that was crazy and he had never seen anything like it. And that was a very good sign. So, you know, I think that was a little bit of a exaggeration and trying to, you know, maybe be nice. But <laughs> I mean, it is more affordable, right? Um, you know, probably many of the journalists who've driven, driven the Model S and P100Ds literally could not afford to buy one of those cars. So it'd be difficult for them to say they would. But, uh, you know, for what it's worth, he thought that was meaningful. So I wanted to convey it. But um they were definitely, it definitely rose the ire on Twitter of a lot of automotive journalists um, who were like, we didn't get to drive it because they seem to focus on tech journalists more than traditional automotive media for the uh, test drives. Yeah, well, you know, the world's moving on, folks. Yes. Um, so after that, some of the, I want to run through sort of the main highlights and things that stuck out to me uh, and get your thoughts on them. So I'll, we'll start with some of the simpler things and we'll get end probably with Model 3 since there's some most meat there. So first, <laughs> stores and service. Uh, during the quarter, they opened 29 new stores and service locations. So they now have a total of 300 globally, um, which works out to approximately one every three days, if you like those sort of uh, average numbers. Um, and 
Interestingly, if you think about it compared to Apple stores, um, Apple, Apple just is cresting 500 stores globally. So they're not that far off of Apple. Um, and uh, about a year or so ago, Apple had around 450 stores. So just sort of in the same realm-ish as Apple in terms of stores, um, but uh, they, they still want to keep adding more. So 29 in the quarter uh, was... Not their best, not their worst. How does um, that compare to Microsoft stores? I don't know, actually. I <laughs> I don't know how many. I was actually in a Microsoft store today. I had to buy Windows 10 on a USB stick. So I was, oh, why? I'm well, sorry. We One of the computers we had had to be reformatted, and I forgot the BitLocker key, and so didn't have a recovery thing. It doesn't have a USB. It doesn't have a CD drive. So anyways, it, it was going to be a pain. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I dredged that up. It's all right. Um. The the more interesting thing was on service, and they talked about this a bit, and we've mentioned it where I think it was last quarter they talked about it as well, that they've been able to fix many issues without using the lifts, so they don't have to lift the car up, jack the car up in the service bays. No, not so, like the Uber competitor. Like correct. The hydraulic lifts. The hydraulic lifts, yes. Okay. And uh, they realized that as a result of this, they could deploy more of their mobile service vans mm-hmm. and uh, so they could do things like fixing tires to now doing maintenance on the vehicles and the big important aspect of this in in relation to model three is that now 80 percent of service visits don't require a lift so they can actually make the mobile service which is better for the customer because they can meet you wherever you are so if you're they gave the example if you're at work it'll show up when you're at work they can get into the car do everything you need and you can just drive home in your car and it's all fixed and you basically had no change in your lifestyle because you didn't have to take it in for service and ultimately that's sort of the best type of services you don't even notice it happened so they want to push that and the majority of owners will be able to have that level of service so basically the same thing as, as you see people doing like windshield repairs in, in right. parking lots like that, but it'll be for any sort of car repair. Yeah, the majority of, of you know, 80% of the things that customers come in needing service for, you would be able to have that and they continue to expand it so they can offer it. And what that does is then all, all their fixed real estate of their service centers, it frees up 80% of the of the space and the time and the usage. So now they have a lot more space available for these trickier solutions uh trickier solves rather do you think they're gonna they're gonna also be able to reduce their coffee budget too i imagine at these service centers yeah they'll have complimentary coffee yeah they'll have less people there they need less uh they need less staff and what it basically does it is it increases the efficiency of their overall service uh footprint because having the stores is more expensive than having the vans uh and so even though they may not be growing their service uh bays uh, in the same sort of lockstep as they're going to be increasing the number of cars sold, they don't necessarily need to um, because they can absorb a lot more capacity now at their existing service base. So, uh, you know, for folks who are afraid that they're not building enough service stations, just remember that many, even S's and X's and eventually the Model 3's will be able to be serviced remotely. So only when really big issues come up would you actually have to go into the service station, service centers, and uh, that's sort of new. Um, so it should free that up a lot. Interesting. Do you yeah. think they've, um, oh, wow, it just fell out of my head, but I was going to ask. Um, but anyways, what just pushed it out was, do you think they have any plans to um, include service type things in like the supercharger locations at all? Like kind of combine those? They haven't made any um, incl- inklings that that's the case. None of the um, 
No hints. Well, that's not true. What they tend, they don't do sometimes do is they will sometimes put superchargers at their service stations, but they don't seem to build them along the long distance routes. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So for the ones that are in the cities, if they already own the real estate, they'll put superchargers there uh, to accommodate it. Like the one I went to in Dublin uh, was, a, was, I believe, a service center and a store and a supercharger. So if they can get the space, they'll do all three. But it, it doesn't seem like it's a strategic choice or something they were really, really going to push more of. They didn't mention anything like that on the call. Okay. The, I, I just remember my more relevant question was, uh, are these like mobile service vans? Are they fully like Tesla service vans, Tesla employees, or is it more of a, like when Comcast sometimes come to your house, it's actually just a contractor who has like a sticker that says Comcast stuck to the side of their F-150 or whatever. They are, to the best of my knowledge, Tesla employees, the same way their service uh, team are employees and that the vans are Tesla branded. Um, they're like really tall sprinter type vans. So they have, you can like stand up inside of them. So they're not just like pickup trucks. Uh, oh, so they're gasoline powered. Yeah, they are currently gasoline powered. Um, oh, really? Yes. Um, and uh, they I've seen them driving around Palo Alto. Um, they're white with the red Tesla logo on them. And uh, yeah, they, they can do quite a lot. Um, people have had lots of service done by them. And it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, they, they can have the parts. And one of the other big improvements, obviously, for Tesla service is uh, they can diagnose what parts they need in advance uh, because of the diagnostics in the vehicle, as we've spoken about in the past. So anyways, they can, you know, make sure they have the parts they need before they come see you and have those stocked in the van. Um, and because the cars don't have that sort of solid underbody, that's the big reason why they don't always need to use a lift is they're not designed with the expectation that you can access them from below as easily. And so right. they're designed to be accessed from, from above. Smart. Yeah, smart. It is. So uh, <laughs> connected to that, as you were sort of asking about with supercharging, um, so they gave two different numbers. Um, so they expect to double by the end of this year from where they started. So from 5,000 supercharger plugs to 10,000. And then they also said they were in a triple from where they are now by the end of next year. So they've got two concurrent uh, goals, one of a doubling and then one of a tripling. That's a little confusing. So they want to get to 10,000 by the end of this year, but uh, the current goal of tripling starts from 6,000 and goes to 18,000. Anyways, gotcha. uh, they basically are quite confident this will address the supercharging needs of SX and 3, um, and that certain locations are pretty difficult to get permits for. They gave the example of Malibu, uh, pretty hard to find both find a location and get the permits. Um, Stay out of Malibu, deadbeat. Apparently that is pretty difficult. Um, and that uh, they are aware that there are certain uh, superchargers and areas that need immediate relief. Um, and they're going to be experimenting with those their first super mega superchargers, um, which we <laughs> talked about in the supercharger episode, the, the one um, in Kettleman City and um, the one going over to Los Angeles, oh, sorry, into uh, Las Vegas. Oh, you're talking about the super duper chargers. The super duper chargers. Uh, Elon mentioned it as a mega supercharger, but that was sort of an off the cuff name he he sort of mentioned. So yeah, they need to workshop that a little more. They do plan to unveil those relatively soon, in their own words. So we aren't supposed to know those exist yet, um, essentially. <laughs> and uh, he said uh, they should be a great place to stop, uh, have a great restroom. So they're going to have great restrooms, great food, and you'll you'll want to hang out there for thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> 
what exactly is it they can have like the fancy and great restaurants Jap- japanese toilets or something what exactly makes the, makes a restroom great other than like clean yeah i mean we'll find out we'll we will go on the scene uh to kettleman city and i hope they don't have those like attendants in there because they always kind of weird me out i don't know if you're supposed to tip them or what so yeah i would say that would make it not a great experience yeah yeah um one one thing that jb straubel their cto pointed out that i think a lot of people who are concerned about supercharging uh, i'm not really one of them have been confusing i think and he sort of illuminated it quite well was this idea that well if you don't quadruple or quintuple the number of superchargers it's going to be a, a you know chaos when the model 3 comes along because it's already super congested we're going to have even more problems every and, supercharger is going to look like a trader joe's parking lot yeah you'll there'll be there'll be fist fights as you were as you were uh alluding to in one of our previous episodes so <laughs> Uh, he pointed out uh, quite rightly that superchargers really serve two primary needs. One of long distance, uh, sort of point to point uh, along a route, supercharging and charging. So, um, and then the other is within cities. So his point was that there is some congestion in some of the city locations and the urban ones, uh, but many of the stations between cities are actually quite underutilized and have a lot of extra capacity. And so even if you were to double or triple the fleet size, uh, these long distance ones sort of in between, uh, in between cities could actually absorb a lot more capacity. And so you don't necessarily need to have a one-for-one ratio of more superchargers to more cars for those. And that the urban ones are going to be solving with these, uh, both the mega ones, as well as just putting more inside cities, uh, especially in California and major cities to accommodate the added pressure. Um, Yeah, especially for places like, I mean, New York will have this problem, San Francisco, Boston, places that have tight parking. You're going to be having people thinking about purchasing a Model 3 who don't actually have even a parking spot, let alone access to put a charger in a parking spot. Yeah, I think that if there's any wild card of supercharging, it's that that would be very difficult for them to um, predict. Now, I guess... If they're really being clever, they could look at the reservation res- addresses and check how many of them have uh, apartment or suite uh, <laughs> addendums in the address and look up those addresses and find out the likelihood that they have covered or, you know, deeded parking. I'm not sure if they've gone to that level. They didn't mention it this time around. Uh, but yeah, they certainly are aware of it. They And the benefit of superchargers is it's not a guess at which ones are busy at what time. They know, and they know which people are using them, and they know how much time they spend charging there and the patterns. So um, they have really good usage data. There's just a big lag between having that information, knowing what the plan is to fix it, and actually being able to put the superchargers in the ground and get them enabled. Yeah, I imagine that it's the amount of electricity that they draw that causes a a big, like, scaling problem, because you can imagine, like... If it's a, if you're at a fair or something and I don't know, they even have like banks will bring in like trailers that have ATMs on them or something too, or like, you know, porta potties come in and address that. And you can kind of have these like kind of surge remedies uh, for, for things, but you can't really do that. You can't bring in a a flatbed of superchargers because they're not going to be able to just kind of plug into the grid wherever they are. So they have brought in temporary superchargers in the past but yeah they've only brought in a couple and then they use the storage 
the battery packs to charge to, to charge them. Um, All right. But it, yeah, it's definitely a temporary fix, um, and certainly ongoingly they have problems with that. So. I think it is certainly on their schedule. They want to triple it. So it's not as if they think, oh, you know, 10, 20, 30% improvement is going to get you there. So we're still talking about huge total increases in the system. Um, and they're not going to have triple the number of cars on the road, um, you know, next year. Um, so, you know, they should be ahead of it. Um, so the density should actually be better by the end of next year. Uh, number of superchargers per car should be better. Um, he was asked about... Porsche uh, saying they're going to have super fast supercharging, so 15-minute charge times. And uh, this was interesting because there's been a lot of rumors about faster V3 supercharging, and it's they kind of threw some cold water on it. Um, JB Straubel said, you know, they've tested this. They've tested packs that can charge much faster, 15 minutes instead of 30 minutes for the supercharging to 80%. Uh, but the current set of trade-offs, as we talked about with Bernard Kim uh, from uh, Berkeley on the battery chemistry, is this sort of, the, the, you've got peak output, you've got uh, energy density, and then you've got sort of the ability to, to recharge and those factors all play together. And if you push too hard on being able to recharge quickly, the cost goes up and the density goes down. Uh, and so basically you just can't hold as much power, uh, energy, sorry, in the batteries. And they currently feel that they've optimized it for the primary use case where you're not going to be supercharging every day. Um, and so if you do have to wait 30 minutes to get to 80%, uh, that's better because the majority of the time you're going to like having the lower cost battery lower cost vehicle and having a, a battery pack that has more total energy storage than the alternative. Uh, he said, you know, we're continuing to look at this and continuing to make improvements, but uh, they're not planning to have some 15 minute breakthrough anytime in the very near future. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of some of the quick bits getting to the financial side of things. Um, they had a total of 2.78 billion in revenue uh with 666 million in gross profit um which yields a 23% gross profit margin so um how does that break out so automotive was 2.2 billion um and that compares to 1.1 billion last year so year over year about a 93% growth on the automotive side so that's very healthy uh to go from 1 billion in automotive to 2.2 billion uh, over the year uh, is quite impressive uh, for that same p quarter. So Q2 2016 versus Q2 2017. Um, okay. uh, year on year total vehicle growth, so number of deliveries went up by 53%. So the delta, the, why aren't those both the same? Why didn't deliveries go up 93%? Uh, the, the primary difference is the way they do the accounting for revenue. Um, they've had a lot less leases. And so when they sell the car outright, they can recognize the revenue right away. When they lease it, they have to recognize the revenue over the lifetime of the lease. Um, and so that shows up as less revenue per period. Anyways, they ended up selling more car, uh, so 53% more cars year over year, but the revenue looks a lot better. Um, so, you know, they, they, did, they did well there. And the other point they made was this is in a high-end luxury market that was flat year on year. So their point was we're gaining share uh, relative to competitors because the overall market didn't grow, so they stole from competitors. Um, so uh, bodes well for, for Tesla overall that they, they certainly haven't saturated the, the market for this 
S and X model. Um, when those when the sales sort of go flat, that'll be a much sort of, they will have reached uh, saturation, uh, but they still have you know over fifty percent growth year on year. You know, was this worldwide or yeah like worldwide? US? Yeah, is this like the kind of thing where the U.S. is a more mature market and growth elsewhere is driving these numbers, or is it pretty uniform? Yeah, they, it, do they specify? They they didn't talk. They don't break it out very much, but they still do have. Uh, they they're still doing strong in Asia. Um, they're doing well in in Europe and and the U.S. are all pretty pretty strong. Um, so yeah, it it is it isn't yet to the point like an Apple where they're really feeling the pressure in China or other particular geographies where they sort of saturated. Um, so yeah, still, still a fair amount of growth in all the different geographies. Um, really importantly, automotive gross margin was 25%, um, up from 23.6% last year. So basically that means they're, they're able to make the car, make more profit per car, uh, than they were last year. And 25% puts them in the upper echelon, uh, and possibly past Porsche, which is the number one spot. And it, it just depends on the comparable period, but um, definitely one of the top. And they're still trying to hit that 30% target they've had for a long time. Uh, but they did mention that they continue to see margin improvement. And to this point, they even just reduced the entry price of the Model X uh, by, I believe, $3,000 uh, because on the base model uh, to make it a little bit more attractive they're having a sale crazy come down to crazy elon's model x paradise well what's interesting is it's not really a sale because the new price is just lower so it's not it's not temporary um and then on the p100d ludicrous for sort of the fully maxed out ones they're now including the premium upgrades as part of the base price which is effectively a price cut as well um, by bundling those in at a lower cost. So they're passing some of those savings along to induce more demand and more purchases to make those cars more compelling. Um, but they are still doing well on the margin front for those vehicles. So there's a lot of folks who are um, criticizing Tesla for discounting and things like that. But it's not showing up in the, if they really were doing that, it would show up in the gross margin as a decrease and it's going up. So I think it's pretty hard to make the case that there's systemic discounting or they're having a problem with demand when their margins keep going up, which means they are not discounting. So yeah, call me when they have a BOGO. Yeah. I, I mean, if we saw the margin go down materially on SNX and deliveries went down, that would be a bigger problem that would mean that they both couldn't sell the cars very well and they also had to sell them at a lower price and they took a hit on the margin so not seeing any indication that that's the case um if they threw in a model three when you bought a model x would that technically be a bogo i'm not sure i guess that that is buying one and getting one of a lesser value yeah it is a yeah. lesser value um hmm. on the energy side um it's not the area we spend the most time on um but they had 286 million in revenue compared to 4 million last year. Um, so huge jump, but inorganic because uh, remember that's due to the acquisition of Solar City. Um, so they did about 300 million or so in revenue. And that <laughs> margin is even better. It was 29% margin. So solar panels are good margin and the batteries are good margin. Uh, the problem is they are almost always leased. And so they don't get the money up front. And so it actually looks pretty bad on the balance sheet, even though the official accounting of it um, 
looks okay. Like the margins look good, but still. Yeah, they costly. had something interesting in the in the well, I guess in the letter, which we haven't gotten to yet. Well, but. it's all sort of intermix. So I'm, oh, I'm I pulling, was waiting. I, I'm pulling I from both. Yeah, I'm pulling from both sources. So uh, okay, I thought it was interesting that they basically have CDOs on their on their solar leases. Did you see that? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's sort so of they, that's how they've, they've been, like that's, collateralized the debt. <laughs> Yeah, that's how they that's how they've been rolling with it. So yeah, they take uh, they take on the initial sale and then they bundle it up and sell it off, and that's how they get more money up front uh, to get rid of the lease payments and basically create a financial. Yeah, instrument. you could. Yeah, you could just make a money generating machine. I think we all learned that a few years ago, right? Well, the point here is <laughs> is the asset that the debt object is collateralizing actually worth that much money and that's where that's the, the housing was inflated and uh, what if you had a solar leveraged. roof on a subprime mortgage home what would happen there that that would be more problematic yeah uh that <laughs> that right. would not be advised um i thought it was interesting too that the so the it said like the letter says the first solar roof installations have been completed recently at the homes of our employees who we chose to be our first customers which i thought was interesting in that it's the same thing they're doing with the model three and that means there are solar roofs installed out there that are they're getting feedback on and on the call they revealed who two of those employees were and one of them was elon and the other was jb (laughs) so the ceo and the cto both have them on their roofs and uh, he made a point to say that the photos that were included in the letter were just amateur photos so then no photoshop retouching was done on them so (laughs) so that's a photo of one of their houses right there yeah Yes. Um, and uh, that that is version one of the solar roof. And he thinks it's going to keep improving and getting uh, more and more attractive looking and that they have a similar production ramp challenge with solar roof as they do with uh, Model 3 of getting the cost down, the installation process ironed out and then ramping up the actual production uh, where right now they're doing pilot production in Fremont. And then they'll be moving that to the Buffalo Gigafactory 2 as they continue to build out that factory, uh, which has been put on the back burner a little bit as they focus on model three but uh elon reiterated they expect the buffalo gigafactory to be a, a quote kick-ass facility and they uh, <laughs> have made a commitment to the state of new york that they're going to honor that it's going to you know meet the targets for employees and whatnot because that was really made by solar city and so he just wanted to reiterate they are going to sort of honor that um a few other things from the financial side of things um so capital expenditures in Q2 were $959 million, uh, up from $600 million in Q1. And so CapEx uh, are capital expenditures, so things that are um, going to be used over many, many years. Um, so things like factories and buildings and equipment. So the KUKA robots and the, the factory lines and uh, the Gigafactory itself. That's all goes into capital expenditures. And so spinning up a new production line on the other half of the factory in Fremont and building the Gigafactory, uh, a lot of those payments and spending has ramped up. And um, so they spent about uh, $1.4, $1.5 in the first half, and they expect to spend $2 billion in the remainder of the year. So it's going to keep accelerating. Um, So this is sort of the biggest CapEx they've ever had. And this is... is that related to the the news? What was it today about like one point nine billion or something in in uh, money that they raised? Yeah. So they because they only had about three billion in cash on hand at the end of the quarter. Plus, they expect to spend two billion in cash 
uh, well, two billion over the next six months. Plus, they usually lose a few hundred million dollars a year, uh, uh, three hundred million dollars per quarter. They might get down to less than a billion dollars in cash. And Elon doesn't think that's a safe number. And so they were mentioning on the call, which was a few days ago, that they were planning to, or thinking about doing some debt, uh, but they weren't going to do an equity uh, raise of issuing more stock. And the, the difference there is if you do equity, uh, the current shareholders get diluted. So you own a smaller percentage of the company. And so it's sort of more expensive uh, to shareholders, where if you do debt, uh, you pay interest to the people who own the debt, but you don't dilute the company. And so if you're confident you can make more money in the future, you can pay it off and you still own the same amount of the company. So investors typically prefer debt over issuing more equity. So Tesla today came out and said they're going to be issuing uh, over a billion dollars in debt. And it'll probably be about a 5% interest rate. And it looks like they'll probably be able to get that done. I think it was like 1.5 billion. Um, so that will help boost their cash balance and, you know, prevent them from getting too close to the edge. Um, so yeah, that's exactly what that's for is basically the cash cushion. But still, even though they've built a lot of the factory and the line for Model 3, one of the things that's important is they actually don't pay the supplier until it's validated and running at the, you know, signed off on. So even though many of those robots are sitting at Tesla, they haven't paid for them yet. And so that's how they could still spend more in the next few months, even though a lot of that equipment's already been installed. So it doesn't mean Tesla's behind. It just means that the payment terms are such that they don't need to pay for it until it's fully signed off on and producing at a higher volume. So a lot of those payments are going to come due in the next three to six months. Yeah, that's a lot of exposure for the robotics company. Yeah, it definitely is. And one of the other things they, um, they talked about was how... Uh, the we've, we mentioned it, but they really reiterated it this time is that not only are their suppliers on the on the capital expenditures taking a, a longer term risk with Tesla by exposing themselves to more sort of time on payback, their suppliers for the for the Model 3 line for, for the Model 3 program rather are as well. And so they've extended their payment terms with most of their suppliers to an average of 60 days. And because the Model 3 is, is both faster to produce and they're going to be delivering it in the U.S. to begin with, they actually believe that very shortly after production sort of gets in the swing in September in earnest, they will be at a place where they uh, sell the car, get the parts, assemble it, and deliver to the customer within that 60-day time frame so that they will every car actually be generating cash for the business versus it being a cash drain where you'd have to pay for the parts and then you get paid later, which means you have to bridge that with cash. In this case, they're actually going to be not needing to bridge it. So the faster they ramp production, the, the more cash they'll actually generate and the more profit they'll generate. Isn't this basically bringing the, the Dell computers like just-in-time construction to cars? Well, yes, but also the payment terms are really important because yes, they're getting the parts and assembling it, but if they had to pay those within 30 days, uh, they may not be able to turn that into a car that's actually delivered and paid for because uh -oh. sometimes when it goes overseas, uh, they were mentioning on the call as well that they start the quarter, they, start, they ship all the cars that are going to go, um, I believe, to Europe first, um, and then they ship the cars that are going to go to Asia, and then they ship the ones for the East Coast, and then they ship the ones for the West Coast, such that at the end of the quarter, they have all the cars being delivered around the same time, um, because otherwise they would miss the quarter. 
So it can take like weeks or upwards of a month or so on the boat to get to some of these places. And so if you don't have that payment term, you Tesla will have had to pay for the Model S or X parts without having received cash from the customer. And so that's why they have, um, you know, the, the, the asset on their balance sheet, even though they've already paid for it. So um, it should help a lot with Tesla not needing to have as much cash on hand for Model 3. Um, so, okay. yeah, it's, it's sort of a little bit of an arcane thing, but it definitely helps Tesla not need to have as much cash uh, all the time. Um, one of the other things they just sort of pointed out, um, or I noticed, I guess, was that the um, loss from operations, which excludes things like interest payments for debt, um, last year for this quarter was uh, $238 million, and this quarter this year was $240 million. So even though they nearly doubled their revenue, uh, their losses stayed pretty stable. So they seem to be able to hit that $240 million loss per quarter on operations pretty <laughs> consistently. I don't know if that's really a skill, but well, yeah. Well, okay. I guess I, my expectation is they're sort of managing to some particular level of uh, loss uh, and investment. Yeah. And they're okay with that because they burn about a billion, they burned about a billion dollars uh, quarter to quarter. Um, and the difference was uh, about, the, the difference really came down to about $100 million more in debt servicing. So they have to pay another $100 million a quarter for interest on their debt. So at some point, having the cash to pay down the debt will be beneficial. But anyways, even though they lost a billion dollars, uh, the loss from operations was only a third of that. So the, the big other chunk was from CapEx. So when people say Tesla is not profitable and losing money on every car, there's multiple facets to that. And we've talked about that on pretty much every earnings call. But from what I can see, there isn't some major breakdown or problem happening with their losses. It's pretty consistent. And they certainly have enough cash to service everything. And if they were to cut back on R&D and sales and basically stop investing in the future, they would be able to turn some profit. But again, the Model 3 is going to be a much, much bigger program than SNX combined almost by the end of the year. So it would be pretty silly to not build those out as quickly as possible because they'll get cash faster. So not concerned with anything they're doing on that side. It is definitely aggressive, very different than most automakers, very different than most companies, except for technology companies that tend to run in the losses for quite a while and um, have access to capital. So it's not a problem. They make it up in volume. Well, yeah, they, they make it up with scale at some point in the future and they get a lot more what's called leverage. So the install base, the customer, uh, the, the sort of the salespeople, the R&D people, every, everyone will be leveraged on more and more units sold. Um, and when you only are selling 25,000 cars uh, per quarter, uh, it looks like a really expensive operation. But if you're selling, you know, uh, 120,000 cars per quarter, that the math starts to work out really well. Um, and so it all really is, all, everything being built at Tesla right now is hinging on Model 3. So <laughs> it's not anything we've been surprised by, but investors typically still have a hard time believing Model 3 will be as big as it most likely will be and still want Tesla to be prudent, which is fine, but not, not necessarily being uh, honored by Tesla. They're just sort of going as fast as they can. <laughs> All right. So speaking of the Model 3, I have a question for you. Yeah. In their letter, they mentioned that the non-employee customers soon 
will begin receiving invitations to order their cars in small groups based on when they placed their reservations, comma, with existing Tesla owners receiving first priority. And I don't understand how those two statements go together. Like, are you going in the order you placed your reservation or are existing Tesla owners going first? And as a non-existing Tesla owner, how do you, but a low reservation holder, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so we knew, uh, well, many reservation holders knew that uh, existing owners were going to get some priority. And it seems as if what will happen, and this letter seems to indicate it is, it will go out based on where you are located, based on when you ordered, as well as a sweetener for those who are SNX owners. So I expect they're going to like bucket it or something. Yeah, I think like it's going to be gonna... bucketed and the current sort of listings on the configurator for the delivery estimate that Tesla's put out seem to indicate people in California who are existing owners have a slight advantage by like a month or so over those who are just first day reservation holders. And then each area will most likely get a slight bump for being an SNX owner. But as you go out in time, that advantage decreases because they'll be producing at such a rate that for folks who are in like right-hand drive areas, it probably will have almost no material impact because they'll be making (laughs) 10,000 cars a week anyways. So the difference between being day one or day 50 won't make any difference. All right. So you're probably in the best position you can be in for someone who doesn't currently own a Tesla. Right. And I could still purchase a Tesla and it would help, but that's not my current plan. Um, also, <laughs> can you purchase a Tesla Model S, get it, get the bump to get your Model Three, and then return the Model S? I think I probably would have. I think you probably have to have it have it active on your My Tesla by the time they send out the invitation. Um, What's there? Is it like the Apple Store? Do you have like thirty days or something to bring it back? They do allow you to take it back if you don't like it, but um, I would have to time it pretty pretty well. But actually, what might happen <laughs> though is that because I'm waiting for the white interior, it might not matter because I'm going to be waiting till a slightly later group, anyways. So I don't think it will actually matter because even if I got in a couple weeks earlier, I won't be able to order what I want. So I'm actually mm-hmm. for people who are waiting for the lower price battery the standard range or waiting for the different interior options or the standard standard model three without the premium and you're in california it probably won't make any difference if you're in the first you know couple thousand who reserve anyways um (laughs) i'm not i'm not worried about that it doesn't it's not actually going to affect me very much and uh the the bigger thing is if they actually are going to be able to produce many thousands uh, they said they were going to target around 1500 this quarter if they can do that that's a really great sign um so next quarter we'll really be looking at how many model threes did they produce and deliver and if it's anywhere close to that 1500 number that means they've gotten through that first like super early teething problems of like one or two cars a day and you know are on pet pace because model x it took them months and months and months and months to get to that level of production so um, it would it would be a good sign they're out of the woods. So that's what I'm looking for on the Model 3 going forward. But anyways, there's still more to say, but I'll jump in. Got so much. Uh, Christmas morning is so long. Um, Sorry, I'll stop diverting. No, no, no. Here. Anyways, uh, let's see. Um, SNX, they produced 25,708 SNS, S's and X's, um, and that was 40% more cars than they built in the same period a year ago. Um, so you know they they built more they're just sort of saying we have more per- we, we can we can <laughs> keep building the right. more they're they are yeah. reaching sort of the limits of what the snx lines are designed for so once they pass around 100 100, 100,000 combined per year 
they will start to have to be running the line more often and um, paying overtime and things. So I will say that reading like Model S, Model X, Model 3 repeatedly in this letter makes me really wish that they didn't have the word model in every model. Yeah. I don't know. It feels very redundant. It feels like, I don't know, I feel this same kind of way where I, I live in a, in a town called Redwood City and its official name is the city of Redwood City, mm-hmm. which just seems completely ridiculous. Extra cities. <laughs> yeah, it feels a little redundant and they've got, they've got these just models all over the place where, yeah, it would be more like SX3. Yeah. Tacoma or whatever. Could We could just shorten them. Um, I'll, 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 I'll see about that. But I think just Sierra. Saying, saying just three, Sierra and X-Ray. You know, with three, it's a little weird. It just doesn't work. Um, Sierra, X-Ray, and Trey. I'll, I'll let you try and make that a thing. Um, uh, we'll work on it. They also said they expect Model S and X deliveries to increase in the second half of 2017 compared to the first half of the year. So one big concern was that S... And X were going to be cannibalized by Model 3. And remember, they were trying to do all that anti-selling to <laughs> ensure people did not defer on buying an S in particular. For a they Model did 3. a lot of that in this letter here, too. And they did it in the letter as well. But what they said is they both added they added a lot more Model X cars to the test drive and display fleet because a lot of the car the stores didn't even have any and have any to drive. And they saw both they saw a 20 percent increase um, in orders for Model X compared to the same period last year um, and sequentially, so Q1 to Q2. So basically just pointing out X Model X is continuing to increase um, in the, the mix, and they think that they still have a few more levers they can pull to get that going. Um, but they were concerned, like we were just saying, that there was going to be um, cannibalization. And even in the last earnings call, they on the they tried to prepare investors that there might be cannibalization and so s and x might go down quite a bit be prepared well who wants to buy the old one when the the new version is coming out it's the osborne effect exactly and what they actually have seen is that that is not the case not only was there not cannibalization but they've actually seen an increase in demand for model s and x with the release of the Model 3. So leading up to the Model 3 reveal the final one in the in July July 28th there was increased demand compared to the same period last quarter. And after the release, they've seen even more demand for SNX. And so it seems to be uh, the classic halo effect where it's just creating more interest in the company overall. And people are noticing SNX as well as I think uh, another big piece of it is now that more people know about the pricing, uh, there is... Uh, a really well option model three can push sixty thousand dollars and if you want performance it's going to cost you even more than that probably around 70 and now you're starting to touch model s which is exactly how it works in almost every other car line that once you get the top end of a spec of a model you're now at the bottom end of the next model up to try and create this very contiguous uh, price range. So basically at any price, there's a model for you. Um, and uh, it seems as if that's having uh, an effect where more and more people are actually buying S's and X's and um, up to the level of around 15% higher weekly order rate than their average in Q2 in July. Um, so that's, uh, that's good for Tesla. Um, and basically it means they're going to be able to continue to sell these higher margin cars. It'll help them push more of the cars that are coming off the leases, um, and that are now going to be used 
which will have a lower price point, but Tesla can still make money on them because they buy them back for less than they are going to sell them for. And uh, that's all like, I think really good um, to indicate that people really want the Tesla brand more than just like a cheap car uh, from Tesla. So yeah, that, that was pretty cool to hear about. Actually, I was not, I was not expecting that. I was expecting it to be uh, them really to hedge and say, well, you know, it's going to be a rough couple months, but uh, we think it'll come back once people realize Model 3 is what it is. <laughs> I think the the thing that offended me the most is they, they in one paragraph, said, with no advertising, paid endorsements, or guerrilla marketing campaigns, they talked about right. Model 3 reservations have climbed. And then they, in the next paragraph, said that uh, we've seen an even further increase in Model 3 orders since the July 28th event. So basically the July 28th event where they did not actually sell anything was essentially either advertising or a marketing campaign of some sort. So I don't know. I thought that was a little, uh, they were contradicting themselves there. Yeah. They, they seem to not classify any of the events where Elon gets on stage and they live stream it to potentially millions of people as advertising or marketing. Um, so (laughs) they either are confused about what that is or are, uh, really trying to downplay its importance. So I hope it's the latter. I hope it's just them uh, downplaying it and not actually being (laughs) confused about how important that is, because that would be a much bigger problem if they think they can do something and then it doesn't impact it because they've discounted how important all this, I mean, how do they think people heard about it in the first place? So, right. And, and when you put all this like effort and money into it, it wasn't just a handover event. It wasn't just for the employees because they could have just, the employees were there and they could have watched it. So there was clearly a budget for some sort of, well, I would say a marketing event. That triangle cheese wasn't free. That's true. The alcohol we drank wasn't free. No, well, it wasn't that expensive, but yeah. (laughs) No, it was. Yeah, no, I think, I think that is a fair point. I think clearly they are trying to distance themselves from traditional automakers who spend a lot of money on advertising campaigns, uh, on drive events for journalists and these things that they want to pretend that they are just completely doing this grassroots and people are just, you know, (laughs) discovering it on their own. Um, but word of mouth, man, word of mouth, but it is certainly, uh, they, they haven't done, they don't have it on their homepage. Like if they wanted to, if they, they could put the model three on the homepage, they could put a model three in every store. They could offer sure. test drives. And so they, I mean, there's no Super Bowl ad. I get it, but yeah, so there's certainly still, there's something, but certainly those things will come and, uh, we'll, you know, they, they mentioned also that they, after the event have now been averaging 1800 more reservations net. So, you know, total additions every day. So that number is quite a lot, I would say 1800 a day, (laughs) given the fact that you've had 16 months to know about the vehicle and put in a reservation and putting it in where on the page where you add it, it says it's going to take you at least 12 to 18 months to get the thing. So, there isn't much, I, I don't think there's much advantage to putting a reservation in right now, unless that number goes to like a million. And we got an update on what that number is. And the current number is 455,000 net reservations. Um, yeah, res- reserving now seems strange. That seems like a strange activity. Yeah, because by the, the time they get to, to your number, they'll be at such a production that it'll probably only be a couple months away anyways. Like it, it will be like a normal production wait. It won't be. It just doesn't seem like it's actually going to make much of a difference if in a year and a half they can't make enough cars to, I mean, they're going to be making more than that a day. Right. 
So like you don't you don't reserve yourself a, a 2019 Toyota Camry, right? Like because it's really not going to get you much. You know they're all going to be there. Yeah, I think I. So, anyways, I mean, good. For, I mean, Tesla could decide, hey, we're not accepting more reservations if they wanted to, but they clearly do get some advantage by getting the thousand dollars and having the person in their database to communicate with and try and upsell to a Model S and X and all that. So they're not going to oh, stop. Yeah, definitely. But um, one of the other things that was sort of interesting too was that um, they mo- they mentioned uh, sort of in passing, but I definitely ca- caught it was that there's going to be minor capital expenditure for S and X. Um, and they mentioned continued improvement to keep pace with Model 3, so all our cars are at the same level of technology. Ooh, intriguing. So basically this means they are going to be making some changes to the production line and new tooling or new equipment that will be used exclusively for Model S and X that they haven't yet done um, that will be used to improve the Model S and X to bring them in line with what's in Model 3. Do you think that means a, a debuttonification is coming? I think or that means think refresh. A, yeah, I think that means yeah. refresh. I think that means potentially new motors. I think that potentially means uh, a different glass process. Um, so basically, it sounds like there are things in Model 3 that have not yet been ported over to Model S and X, and they are going to do that soon to keep it in keep those two products in lockstep technology-wise. Um, and so we know there's both the new battery cells in the packs. There's a slightly different pack architecture, obviously. There's the door opening. Things, yeah, there's the, the door opening things. There's the air vent uh, differences. There's the interior fit and finish changes for like coat hooks and vanity mirror lights and back of the seat pockets and door pockets. And then the center only console or at least the landscape console. So the, if anyone's hoping for a HUD heads up display that may not be in this first version but if you're gonna get rid of uh the binnacle a hud is a pretty good uh option because if they want to have that same dashboard with the same ventless design then if you want to still have that information front and center for snx i think a hud is the way to go so that is that is what they may be waiting on um but anyways they didn't seem to play it up like oh there's these amazing things coming for snx but because we've ridden it in the three and seen some of it, and I had the week previously, only a couple of weeks ago, ridden in the S, there are definitely things that I would prefer would from the Model 3 uh, be in the X and S. And so, uh, yeah, they basically leaked and tipped their hat that there are going to be some ch- pretty significant changes technology-wise on S and X that are not yet out there. So that, nice. that I think, is kind of cool. Um, and I haven't seen many people reporting that, so... I like the way you started the sentence with because we've ridden in the Model 3. I feel like I should preface more sentences like that. Yeah, I mean, you can. It's true. Since I've ridden in the Model 3, I, wasn't trying to I be, think I'm going to have my bread toasted, please. I wasn't trying to be <laughs> uppity. Um, just just saying from, from her firsthand experience. Um, autopilot. So not as much said as I wanted. If I had to grade the autopilot section alone, I would give it a D because I want mm. more info. But... That's usually something they crow about when they have news. They didn't. They don't have news. Uh, so basically, he said they're making great progress on autopilot. Elon again continues to drive the development builds, which probably is extremely dangerous. But you know, he's doing it. Um, doesn't that violate his key man clause? I, I would be curious about some of these things. Uh, yeah, this, the safety of driving some of these unreleased vehicles would be intriguing. Um, but uh, he said. And I quote, it's the development version he was driving was really getting to be something special. 
and it will accelerate more from here. Now, sidebar, he's been saying <laughs> it's going to accelerate a lot from here from the past few earnings calls. So that's a dangerous way to phrase it, too, because that sounds like you're getting into a 1980s Audi 5000 situation <laughs> where the car is just going to accelerate away. You don't from want you. sudden acceleration in a car. Um, <laughs> basically, he's been saying that, oh, you know, things are about to really pick up in autopilot land and they haven't. And um, I'm I'm kind of disappointed actually because we don't have any really advanced advanced auto enhanced autopilot features like none of the things that are enhanced about enhanced autopilot exist none of the full self-driving features are available and uh it just isn't fully there yet now he said that there's a dev version that he's driving that should be released soon but that's all the level of specificity he would give well, there's always a more advanced dev version. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's like what, a non-statement. Exactly. And then the the only thing I would say is because so the Model Threes that were delivered uh, when people took screenshots of the uh, place where they show the firmware, it's running a firmware uh, two weeks newer than the ones that are out in the in the public in the wild, and it had dev in it. And then also uh, people were seeing those cars were showing the cars in the adjacent lanes. Not just when you're changing lanes, but all the time, which Autopilot 2 has not yet been doing. So it looks as if uh, people who are in Model 3s are using a dev version of the software uh, because their employees are investors, so they can you know, give them early access. And that is probably the one that's going through validation, which should have a pretty big boost to Autopilot. But he, and then he lent, went on later to say, you know, they've got great talent, they've got really great vision and neural network folks joining and so sort of world-class talent there. Um, but again, all tech companies say they have the best talent, so it's not <laughs> necessarily a unique statement. There was no specificity. And um, the other thing he said was, uh, you know, he still believes they're on target to do the coast-to-coast uh, ride, but it may be something that he has egg on his face with. Um, so they may not hit it. So he started hedging. First time he started hedging for that deadline. And then so does it, was saying... Does it have to complete it all in that year? Or can it can they leave like just before midnight on New Year's Eve in 2017 and then complete it at some point in the future? He didn't, he didn't say that, but he did say if it wasn't before the end of the year, he said it would be very soon thereafter. So he's already starting to create some gap for the coast-to-coast demo. So... Uh-oh. It seems as if autopilot isn't, but he did say he's been working, he works with the autopilot, he spends a lot of his time each week with autopilot team. He gets into the nitty gritty details about ways they could tune the neural networks, things they could be doing on the control algorithm. So he tried Wait, to- is that is that supposed to be speeding it up or slowing it down? I'm not sure. He, he did say that he spends a lot of time with the team, so- it, it, Does having the boss's boss lord over your team ever speed things up? Well, I mean, it, it, it tells you that there's a lot of attention on it. And uh, if you believe that Steve Jobs helped projects move forward by being involved with them, then it's possible. Maybe. I don't know. I worry about the seagull effect. Yes. Um, it is. If you, if, you, if you don't have anything meaningful to contribute, it's usually much worse. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but he did say it would get rapidly better from here and that people would be very pleased with this recent upcoming release. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> so Model Y. We did get an update on Model Y, and the first update on Model Y is that it may not be called Model Y. So he <laughs> he said he mentioned he sort of hinted twice that it might not be called Model Y. So 
We can start taking a betting pool for what the name of this thing might be, but it's their small Yahoo. compact SUV. Could be. I'm going Yahoo. Could be Yahoo. Uh, I hear that name is not really in use that much. Um, <laughs> he also said that, uh, remember how we talked about they were going to be building this really crazy alien dreadnought version of the factory for Model Y, and it was going to be mm-hmm. like touchless by humans? Apparently, that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, he said, upon the counsel of my exec team, they wheeled me back from the cliffs of insanity, and it's much appreciated. Thank, and he thanked them for stopping him looking like a fool. So what they're going to do is going to basically carry over as much as possible from Model 3 instead of create a whole new platform. So it's going to be based on Model 3 as much as humanly possible to bring it to market faster, and it should accelerate their ability to both manufacture it and reduce the risk of the technology being different. And basically, he said the rationale was that because some people prefer a sedan and some prefer an SUV, and now SUVs are more popular, that Tesla should do everything they can to bring, have an option for a lower cost compact SUV rather than get tied up in building this new production process. Um, So they're just basically rediscovering exactly how every other car company works. Yes. It sounds like his exec team uh, was like, we could be making a lot of these cars, uh, sorry, these SUVs sooner if we just don't get crazy and just build it on the Model 3 and then save this craziness for the next model um, and just do it faster. So uh, he did say that that wiring harness thing that they're hoping to do would be that shorter 100 meter flexible circuit board wiring harness, but most of the technology will be the same. So that is interesting to me because A, does that mean they're going to have to change much about the physical design? Not sure. Probably not. Uh, then it also brings in the question, when would they unveil this thing? Because they unveiled the Model X before the Model S even started shipping. So <laughs> it's possible that is what they show off at the semi-event. But did they know that when they unveiled the semi-event? So anyways, I'm very curious about this because that might also absorb some of the demand from the Model 3 and just put people on a new waiting list. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um but he still does want to do that crazy thing in the future um, with the new factory, but after this product. So for all those folks who are waiting for a Model Y, it looks like the risk of getting a Model Y, y soon has gone down because it's going to be a lot simpler and based on the Model 3. And it sounded like the production process was just sort of for a Tesla uh, adventure versus like the product that the car actually is. Like it didn't sound like that was going to make the car that much better. It was just a better manufacturing process. So it could be that the interior of the car actually isn't going to be any different uh, from what it would be otherwise, but we probably won't know. Probably won't know, actually. They probably won't tell us how much has changed. <laughs> so getting to the main event of Model 3, and this is the last bit, and then we'll get to the, our, our grade. So as we mentioned, they now have 455,000 net reservations. Uh, it was a correction because he had mentioned to the press at the July 28th event that they had around half a mil- more than half a million. And he had said that was just a guess, but it got reported as truth. And so... Uh, <laughs> go figure. Go figure. Um, and so what they've had is they've had over half a million gross reservations. They've had 518,000 gross reservations with 555 net. Um, and so, you know, around 60,000 or so have canceled. And, um, you know, those have happened over the past 16 months. Um, so that's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, still the last number we had, I think was 373, 373,000. Um, it's like the last official number. 
Um, and so, and then also since Friday, as we mentioned a little earlier, sort of alluded to, they, they're seeing about 1,800 new ones per day. And that's about, that's about 1,795 more than they're producing per day. So you yes, know, that's... exactly. The <laughs> backlog increases. And, uh, he gave a funny analogy I did like, he said, um, you know, we're not trying to get more reservations right now. And he said, it's sort of, if you were a restaurant serving burgers, if there's an hour and a half wait to get a burger, do you really want to encourage more people to come in and order hamburgers? Um, so as we've been saying, you know, Tesla doesn't really currently have an incentive to add more people to that line. Um, but it's still <laughs> happening, um, and they're not going to stop it completely. So they're kind of in a strange, we don't want it, but we'll take it anyways, if that's what you really want as the buyer. So, well, it's, yeah, it's refundable too. So they don't really know even how many of those will actually turn into actual purchases. So it's, you know, they, they might be okay. Yeah. So they were the 30 vehicles on the 28th, as we talked about, uh, also got a reiteration that those are all full paid price. Sorry all paid in full price, no discounts. So it's not as if they really like, they're not loaning those to people or anything. Those are real car purchases. The 20 production cars that they made for like engineering purposes, uh, someone asked about them on the call and Elon was very quick to interrupt him and say, those are not engineering prototypes. They are fully certified, DOT approved, EPA approved production cars. And they're not- those are the ones that we took our two rides in. Most right? likely, yeah. The ride and then also ones that are driving around and testing out and possibly might crash or whatever uh, on purpose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or by accident. Or by accident, they might. They might. Um, and uh, yeah, that the someone asked, well, what do you hope to learn by having employees use a car? Why don't you just sell them to customers? Can you really solve anything about a deficiency in the car? if you are selling it to customers or to, to employees first. And he said, did he say right out that, uh, customers aren't under an NDA? Well, he didn't say that. No one asked him that explicitly. <laughs> he did say though, that, uh, many of the rare issues that do crop up, obviously we want to find those as soon as possible. There's a very tight internal feedback loop. So we'll hear about them as soon as they crop up. And then also it was sort of a bit of a reward for people who helped create the vehicle to get them early. And then he went on to say that the types of things they'd fix are actually very, the things they find and the things they found with SNX are actually quite easy to fix. What they tend to be are production process problems. So, um, the, you know, the things we were talking about where the robot's slightly misaligned or something isn't being put in correctly, that those sorts of inconsistencies can be fixed. And then also a lot of times it's a quality control issue from a supplier. So, um, the batch might not be consistent or there's some tolerance uh, things where the, the tolerances are too um, out of whack. And so it's uh, like a tolerance stack up could occur. So basically, if everything is at the far edge of its tolerance, then there might be gaps or there might be things that are too tight. And so they need to get those tolerances in wha- in sort of in line. And, yeah, um, and I, I noticed that they once again in the letter pointed out that the uh, the production can only move as fast as the least looks wow least least successful part of the entire supply chain which i thought was funny that they once again explained an assembly line to us yes i think they sort of believe that most people reading that letter have no idea how production works they don't listen to any like don't follow any other car companies and you know i think (laughs) some of them can't even pronounce successfully sure and then the other example (laughs) jb gave was that a lot of the issues are software (laughs) and uh Uh. that it sounds as well like, and by looking at the software, there are parts of the software that are very rough. There are parts of the software that aren't even fully developed, like the driver profiles aren't done. Um, so there's features of the software they want that are not at 
uh, parity yet. And then also, Elon went on to say that there are also sometimes software and hardware interplay issues that need to be worked out, and it's not always clear which is the culprit, so those can take some time. Um, and they claim that it is above and beyond what other OEMs do because they did the same amount of pre-testing that car companies do, but now they get an, an additional few months to test with employees ahead of those going out to customers. And their point was many traditional OEMs will build up a few thousand vehicles to ship out all at once to dealers around the country so that they're all available on day one around the country, and then those will have issues. And then they'll have to serve them, solve those at service centers, and it takes a while for those to get fixed. And that many OEMs do not actually do many running changes, they're called, where they'll actually fix something in the process. They'll just wait till the next year. And that Tesla does those fixes as soon as they possibly can. And so they tried to make the claim that not only is this above and beyond what the automakers do, it actually is going to lead to a higher quality car for first customers than what traditional automakers would get. Now, traditional like the history with snx does not prove that to be the case but they didn't seem to do the same process with snx so we'll see obviously the quality of model 3 uh is very very important to the success for the company probably even more so than snx um so i tend to believe they are very on top of this and they control when they turn it on for real outside the company customers so if we see any delays that are not related to some problem with production, I would expect uh, they would say, we're still refining things. We could turn it up. <laughs> we could turn up production volume, but we're still refining some things and we were going to keep giving them only to employees. So we'll see. They seem to have about two more months before they really need to start turning it on for customers because... They said also in the letter, soon non-employee customers will begin receiving invitations to order their cars in small groups based on their <laughs> reservations. Uh, that was my little yeah, exactly. fanfare noise I made. Um, and so deliveries to non-employees will begin in Q4, um, which is, I believe that starts October. Yes. So uh, they will continue through this quarter and only employees. And then in the fall, the very beginning of fall, they will start delivering to non-employees. So it's pretty good. Oh, wow. You could actually, if you were far enough up in line, you could be getting your Model 3 and your iPhone 8 at the same time. Yeah, you could. You could basically, I mean, you might get the iPhone 8. Well, depending on what actually happens with production of iPhone 8, they may have their own production ramp problems. Um, so it's going to be a, the... a fall of production ramp challenges. Um, <laughs> how, ex how exciting. How exciting for everyone, <laughs> yes. Um, they said that they're targeting 25% gross margin on Model 3, which is crazy. I mean, if they actually th pull this off, which he also said he has 100% probability of, 100% um, <laughs> probability next year they will have 25% gross margin. So we'll, we'll come back to that next year. And, so, yeah, put um, a pin in that. But that would make them the most – that, that would clearly make the highest margin product at that price point. Bar well, in, at that rate, it would be interesting to see if they've got that many Model 3s in the market, then it becomes if your margin's that high, could you sell more by lowering your margins and lowering the cost? So I don't know that it's it seems weird to, to set that in stone. Well, I think their point there is that is going to what justifies their valuation. And if they are uh, the most okay. productive car company in the world, then they will clearly continue to be the most valuable one. And the same way like Apple, right? Apple could lower their prices but and sell more devices, right. but uh, they, they continue to 
command extremely but, high profit margins and are the but most Apple doesn't have a Apple doesn't have a mission to advance uh, sustainable technology like Tesla does. Where if if they truly had that corporate mission, they would lower their margins to as low as possible to get more vehicles out there. That's true. But what they could also do <laughs> is if they continue to reduce the price, which their largest pri- largest cost component of the battery is continuing to decrease in price, they still could reduce price and keep it pegged to 25% because at some point they might exceed 25%. So there's nothing that says they can't drop the price. It's just they may keep 25% margin once they have 30% margin, give 5% back. So it's, it's not to say that it will always be the same price. It could still go down once they get really good economies of scale. That's true. What do you say to that? Uh, I say that um, I'd like to talk about solar roof again. Really? <laughs> you had some more notes about solar roof? The, no. Well, the last one I had is that they actually included infinity into the document here, which made me laugh that they, the solar roofs are, are warranted. Uh, best warranty in the roofing industry, the lifetime of your house or infinity, whichever comes first. Right. And I thought immediately, of course, I, I start, I thought, well, what if I have a, what if my house is like one of these like cave type houses and, and I've just mount my solar roof onto granite rocks or something like is, is Tesla going to, you know, keep that up for the rest of the life of the earth or like, until, yeah, I until mean, the Vogons come through and demolish the earth for some express route. Yeah. Or even more like, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, the homes we grew up in on the East Coast, some of those are from hundreds and hundreds of years old from the, you know, yeah. from the 18 and 1700s. And then you could go even as far back and say, well, we're just going to put solar roof on like Notre Dame. And, you know, it's made of stone. <laughs> the Coliseum. <laughs> put them on the Coliseum. So I think they might have some challenges there. Uh, the Parthenon does need a new roof. It does. Yeah. They should put a solar roof on that. Um, yeah. I think that that's a, it's a good, it's a good, um, a turn of a phrase. And certainly here in Palo Alto, apparently most people's homes, uh, are renovated even though they go down to one stud. So, you know, it seems as if, uh, you know, the house still stands. So, well, there's building code reasons for, that. I know, but, but yeah. I know, but what is that? Does that, if, if the city doesn't say it was uh, torn down, then. Oh, so the house still has a lifetime right, going on. It still on, has yeah. a lifetime. So you could take the roof down and reassemble it. Anyways. That will be interesting. Wouldn't it be funny if the, if the downfall of the company is this one line that they dropped into their letter here? That, that would be ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous, maybe? I don't know. Yes. All right. So let, let's move on to, to letter grades then. What would you, uh, we've already gotten a letter grade for a partial letter grade, right? For autopilot. So uh, do you want to like do a separate letter grade and then kind of average it all together for a final grade? Yeah. I mean, I would say. On the performance of the company, which I think is what I really should be grading on, uh, I would I would give them a uh, an A minus. A minus, okay. It's higher than last time. And is it? Once again, I'm realizing that I forget to look at what you, you forgot, did last. I think <laughs> I think I might have given a B minus last time or C plus. We need a spreadsheet of your grades as well, yeah. but it's not as important as drinks. So, so I think this call was less interesting. There were yeah. less uh, tidbits that turned into news articles and that were you know, scintillating. I think last time we got like Model Y stuff and a whole bunch of autopilot stuff. So uh, this call was less interesting, but the fact that Model 3 was so, they tried to hit home so hard that Model 3 is on schedule. There is no known blocking issue. They believe quite confidently, they said in the letter that they will hit 1500 cars produced this quarter that we are currently in. And uh, that they target 25% gross margin. And the CFO 
feels quite confident in that. Not just Elon, but the CFO, who used to be the CFO at Ford, uh, makes me feel like this was a very successful earnings call going into basically the first one um, you know, with, without any Model 3 because it ended in June. So that was the last earnings call before we have Model 3. So it's really sort of the, the, uh, uh, the, on the eve of Model 3 in terms of earnings calls because the next one we're going to get more, we're going to get Model 3 earnings, we're going to get Model 3 gross margin, we're going to get a lot of questions about Model 3 production, how it's going, how many deliveries they've had, what are the issues. So it, next one is going to be really interesting, but this was a pretty solid one because they made the investments they needed to make. Model S and X weren't amazing, but were not terrible. Um, and they answered the questions relatively well. And they now have $1.5 billion coming in from bonds. It looks like that will probably go through. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it was a really solid um, quarter overall. And uh, the stock market liked it as well. The stock is up about 12% since the earnings came out. So, um it was also validated by the stock market that it was a, a very positive earnings call. Cool. All right, then. All right. So um, just again, uh, you know, the reason and the way that we got to go to that event and we're going to be uh, most likely going and attending the semi and bring you info from the semi is due to the Tesla geeks and uh, Russell and Anwar Beck over there. And uh, so if you are planning to be one of those folks who are going to be buying an SRNX anytime soon, even a CPO, or the used one. Uh, if you use the code in the, uh, in the um, show notes or on the site, um, we'd really appreciate that. It'll help us out, help them out, and uh, help us keep bringing you really good um, content from all the Tesla events. So uh, use their code if you please. And uh, with that, Mike, where can people contact us with questions or concerns or ideas? Yeah, or if they want to give uh, their take on a letter grade for this quarter, um, you can tweet at us uh, on twitter.com. We are at The Tesla Show. Uh, we have a website on the World Wide Web at theteslashow.com. And we are also active on Reddit at reddit.com uh, r slash The Tesla Show. Also, one last thing I wanted to note we put up photos from the events on the website. So if you just go to the teslashow.com in the header, you'll see a link for model three delivery event. And we put up some photos there in case you want to take a look at those. And then on YouTube, if you just search the Tesla show, we have some videos we posted. So, and if you look back at the, uh, Reddit, uh, post for that episode for the model three episode, you will find the recipe for the model three cocktail that we made. Right. And you can drink along as you look at the photos. So with that, I'll talk to you next week, Mike. All right. Bye. Bye.